I'm Sean Hogan and this is The Good Guys Podcast. He came into our lives with words of wisdom. But here's the thing, none of us get out of life alive. So be gallant, be great, be gracious, and be grateful for the opportunities that you have. And cancer survivor Jake Bailey himself has learnt a lot along the way. It's an incredible uh, blessing and a gift, but it's only that if it doesn't negatively impact your life or if it doesn't hold you back. But once he went into remission, another battle begun inside his head. And I think to myself, you know, shit, if I had have died, then this wouldn't be a problem right now. We talk about how he keeps himself grateful and what he believes is the most powerful tool we can learn. Hey guys, just a quick note from me. I and my guests are not doctors or mental health professionals unless stated otherwise. They have lived experience and are simply sharing what has worked for them to get through tough times. But I'm also going to put some numbers of helplines and websites in the show notes of this episode. So if these topics do raise anything for you that you want to talk to someone about, then you can get the help that you deserve. And now let's get into it. Well, Jake Bailey, thank you very much for joining me. Thanks for the opportunity to have a chat. Really appreciate it. Okay, well, we know you as the inspirational speech maker at the Christchurch Boys High School Prize Giving nearly six years ago now. Um, at the time, you were battling Burkitt's lymphoma. And I just want to say at the start of this, congratulations on um, receiving the news that you'd been announced as, as cured at the start of this year. That must be a pretty good feeling. It's yeah, it is. I mean, there's no way to put it other than being pretty, uh, pretty humbling and and pretty special. Um, but I think for me, it's been uh, more enjoyable knowing that for my family that there's you know that, that element of certainty there. I guess for me, um, that awareness of my own kind of mortality and that risk regarding my health has always been a present fact that for the past five years of being in remission, uh, but it hasn't particularly kind of hung over me in the same way that I know that it has for my loved ones and my family. So I think more. Than anything to get that news uh it, it brings me a great amount of joy because i know that it can kind of allow my my mum and my dad and my family to, to sleep a little easier at night so yeah thank you i appreciate it no you're welcome and i i just want to start with you know it, there has been a long time passed since that initial moment of where we became to to know jake bailey but who is who is jake bailey of 2021 who who are you these days it's <laughs> a good question i I'm a few different things, I guess. Uh, first and foremost, I think what's really important to me is, is my family and the people that I love and care about. Um, I really, really feel uh, a strong draw towards trying to uh, help other people through sharing my story. And I guess for the past few years, I've been privileged to have the opportunity to do that in a number of different ways. Uh, first and foremost, through my public speaking, which is something which I'm, I'm really passionate about. And I've had some incredible opportunities to work with a really uh, diverse and, and varied bunch of groups and uh, companies and government departments and schools and sports teams and, and everything uh, from sort of Fortune 500s all the way through to prisoners in outback New South Wales over the past five years. So that's a big part of who I am. Um, and I guess uh, part of me as well, aside from my family and my work, is sport. So uh, I'm really passionate about endurance sport. Uh, I'm really passionate about uh, cycling and running in particular. So I've done the coast to coast a few times over the past few years. Uh, I've done a lot of endurance cycling, some charity stuff to raise funds for cancer research. Uh, and I did my first ultra marathon over the weekend. So 
Um, I just, yeah, I, lo- I love sport and particularly to have the opportunity to sort of work with some charities through that as well, I think is a really cool way to combine a couple of d- different, different passions together. Um, so yeah, I guess, I guess that's, that's what makes me up. I'm not sure if that's how you define what, what I am or who I am, but that's uh, the pieces that I, that stand out for me when I think of, of myself as a person. There's, there's a lot there. Uh, can I just start <laughs> with the ultra marathon on the weekend? How, how did that go? That was, it was great. It was actually a really cool experience. And we'll, I guess we'll talk about a little bit about that later on, but for me, um, you know, my passion and interest in endurance sport comes from a lot of the same parallels that, that sort of align nicely with, um, first of all, the things that I speak about through uh, my public speaking and things that I've learned through my experience with cancer, like resilience and the power of kind of putting the mind over the body. Um, but those things sort of, they, they transfer uh, certainly into mental health as well. And I find that for me, sport is an incredible tool to sort of enhance and protect your mental health. Um, and from an endurance point of view as well, I find that a lot of the lessons that come to me from uh, getting through tough times in sport are very applicable to getting through tough times in life as well. I, I bet you needed a bit of that through an ultra marathon. Um, <laughs> and, and you said, yeah, we will speak about that a bit later on. But I want to start with a, a, a quote from you that is, uh, every day starts with me not being dead. What a fantastic way to start each day. How much does that still apply to you? And and how how much does, I guess, your your cancer still play a part in your daily life? It's a really good question. And I think, you know, it's something which certainly has lessened with time. Um, the way that I feel about it now or the, uh, the recognition that I give to that, that, that privilege or the opportunity that I have each day is probably reduced now than it was, uh, you know, a week out of remission or a month out of remission. And that's, you know, that, that sounds like a bit of a, a disappointing answer, I guess, on the surface. But to be honest, in some ways, uh, to, to lessen those emotions is actually kind of enhances the experience overall. So to expand on that, the first kind of six months, particularly after going into remission, I had such an immense level of gratitude for everything in life that it was at times just a little bit exhausting uh, and a little bit overwhelming to feel uh, to feel all those different things. And that sort of branches nicely into our conversation about mental health as well, because there were periods, uh, particularly early after I went into remission, where I began to have those very normal feelings of you know, having a bad day, having a shit day, or feeling down, feeling flat, feeling uh, upset about something going wrong. And to have those those feelings just so shortly after uh, you know, being incredibly fortunate to uh, to narrowly avoid death leaves you with a bunch of uh, other emotions like, I guess, confusion, uh, guilt, uh, all of these negative things which stem from that. And it basically boiled down to this idea of, you know, why can I be be grumpy that, you know, what I went to the supermarket to get is sold out when there are other people who I was on the ward with just a few months ago who have passed away and they, they don't they don't go to the supermarket anymore. They don't have a life anymore. So how dare I feel these incredibly normal human emotions of feeling, uh, you know, disappointed or sad or angry or let down or upset by these different things. So in some ways to have some of uh, what became at points, I guess, a, you know, a burden of gratitude um, to have that dissipate ever so slightly is uh, something which is quite beneficial because as I've spoken to other cancer survivors about, you know, that gratitude that comes from uh, overcoming and beating cancer is 
you know, it, it's an incredible uh, blessing and a gift, but it's only that if it doesn't negatively impact your life or if it doesn't hold you back. And if you, uh, if you begin to experience any of those other, you know, negative emotions as a result of those feelings, then that's not, you know, that's not a privilege to go through. So yes, uh, to kind of give you a long-winded answer to that, uh, my cancer is, and I think always will be, and, and will always remain a massive part of, of who I am. Um, and I'm grateful for that because, you know, it, it gives me a pretty, uh, I, I feel incredibly privileged to have that kind of perspective on each and every day because, you know, everything shines a little bit brighter um, and all, all of the victories are just a little bit sweeter when you, when you take that approach to life. So, yeah, I feel, I feel incredibly fortunate. Gratitude is a really interesting thing and the way you've talked about it there is, is, is actually a, a really relieving thing to hear that someone who has been through such a touch a terrible thing can still feel frustrated or can still feel like they're having a bad day and almost uh, forget that you know they may be lucky lucky to be alive and gratitude is a really interesting concept that I want to get into soon but when you grew up it, it seemed that you were surrounded a lot by by death and the idea that life could be taken away quickly were you conscious of how short life was before your diagnosis do you think um no no probably not and i certainly certainly not any more than any other teenage guy so um i don't yeah i was aware like you said i was aware of uh the existence of this kind of grim reaper concept that occasionally lurked in the background and i had seen it take people around me but it did so in very kind of expected fashions like my grandmother passing away from cancer a year before I was diagnosed and certainly uh, cancer in particular that was the way that I'd viewed cancer was uh, it was you know it was something which which nana or granddad or or an extended older great uncle aunt uncle or aunt uh, in the family uh, was diagnosed with and, and eventually you know typically passed away from so um, I had an awareness of of, of it in the in the peripheries of my life um but certainly didn't expect it to kind of um yeah to touch my life in that way and as i've kind of joked about with people before it kind of felt like you know i, I as close as i got to cancer was uh bringing my gold coin donation along to uh mufti day for canteen and it was kind of like that was that you know you bring your gold coin donation and then that's for those you know those poor kids that get diagnosed with cancer, but I certainly wasn't ever going to be one of them. Uh, so yeah, it was it wasn't necessarily a consideration. I think I lived life with the level of awareness of uh, impending mortality that all teenage guys have, which is to say, not very much. The fact is, cancer did come knocking at your door at a very young age of of eighteen, and a very aggressive form of cancer, and that. In your book, uh, What Cancer Taught Me, you wrote about how this was something you would you were definitely going to beat. It never really entered your mind that you weren't going to succumb to this. That to me seems, you know, somewhat crazy. Like, what gave you that? And if I can call it this, is it? Do you think you could describe it as arrogance or, or yeah. confidence? <laughs> what 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 is it? And how did you develop that mindset? I think. Best way to describe it is, uh, yeah, stupidity and naivety, really. And uh, what, yeah, what, how I developed it was sort of what I was saying 
before as well. It was, it was about being a teenage guy, being an 18 year old bloke and being 10 foot tall and bulletproof. And um, I mean, I can't, I, yeah, I can't stress enough just the fact that there was never any, never any doubt in my mind that I was going to beat the cancer. And that, you know, when I say that, it almost comes off as this, you know, big bolshy bravado or this, you know, powerful kind of mindset or it, it makes me sound like I've got some kind of inherent strength within me to be able to do that. But it, it genuinely was. And I was just a, a stupid teenage guy. And there was never any doubt in my mind that I, I was going to, to beat it when in reality um, and something which I've only really truly become aware of uh, since then. And since I've been really fortunate to support a lot of other young people going through cancer and going through the same type of cancer that I had and have seen uh, that, you know, in reality uh, that, you know, our stories don't always end in the same way. Um, it's only since then that I've really come to recognize how, yeah, how stupid and naive that I, that I was. And uh, to be honest, I think I took that into my first couple of years in remission as well. I never really doubted that I was going to get through that period of remission until I was cured, uh, which for my type of cancer was five years of remission. And um, despite knowing the fact that there was an all right, fairly good chance that I could relapse. It was somewhere between sort of one and three and one and four. Uh, and then if I did relapse, the chances of it being uh, terminal for me was, were very high. Um, that was never something which really kind of weighed on my mind. So um, nothing special about me for that. Nothing, nothing that I can kind of bestow upon others or teach them or uh, give them to take out into, into their life and apply to their world. But just being a, a teenage bloke pretty much and just kind of, you know, just, just getting through it because I didn't see, I didn't see another alternative. I wasn't, wasn't ever planning on dying. That's for sure. Yeah. And that's really interesting because even, even in a place like hospital where you're seeing a lot of things you were in, you're in wards with people who weren't going to potentially have a future did negative thoughts ever come into your mind? It's a really, yeah, that's an interesting question. It's one which I get a lot. And I think I can honestly say uh, no. I mean, there were certainly times when I got uh, down or when I was uh, frustrated about my circumstances. Very few. There might, might have been uh, once or twice that I was in hospital and felt pretty shitty about the situation which I'd found myself in. But for the rest of that time, uh, my emotions were really around just just getting through it, um, and I yeah, like it, it sounds it sounds almost unbelievable. I think looking back on it now, but I can genuinely say that throughout that time, my mindset was very similar to that of you know you get a, a, a cough or or a cold and you go to the doctor and they give you a course of antibiotics, and I saw my treatment as just this period of um, you know very straightforward treatment which I had to undergo. You know take take my course of treatment, and then afterwards I would be uh, medically fit and fine and I would come out the other side of it and you know I've come to realize uh, since then that first and foremost I was throughout my treatment particularly early on in a, in a very precarious situation um, and in a far more precarious situation than I think I was even aware of let alone chose to ignore um, but also that you know the treatment will go on to have uh, an impact on on my health and my potential health down the line for, for the future as well I just sort of saw it as an opportunity to just get you know get it done and get out and back into the real world so mm. Uh, yeah, I, I'm not sure how, how to look back on it uh, other than that, but I'm, yeah, I'm quite fortunate, I think, for that. 
teenage naivety or stupidity because it certainly took a lot of the weight off off of my shoulders both during my treatment and subsequently because I just didn't I genuinely didn't worry about any of these things mm. um, and I think that made my my progression through through my treatment and and life since a lot easier it, you actually ended up worrying a lot about other people in fact your mum wrote you letters as she did every day on your journey um on day four I think it is she wrote about how selfless you were and thinking about everyone but yourself this was a time in your life where you could have been selfish why weren't you (laughs) it's funny (laughs) I I don't know it's um (laughs) <laughs> and I, I i get what you're saying as well and sometimes i look back on it so there was a, a situation actually recently when i was back in new zealand where the ward that i was in in the old hospital was being closed and it's been moved into the new hospital block and so i'd always been in the habit of going back to the old ward and just sort of kind of soaking it in a little bit it's like it'd be like going back to your old high school in some ways it's kind of yeah it's familiar and, and warm and welcoming to me and I enjoyed going back there. So after I, I visited the new ward uh, with, the, with the staff and all the patients are now, I tried to go back to the old ward because I, I it, you know, it's shut and it's it's prepped for demolition now. But I thought, you know, I'd love a little souvenir. Like I'd love the the number off, off the, my door uh, off the, of the room that I spent, you know, a significant period of time in or anything like this. And I got back there and the, it was it was all locked up and it was all closed. And I was kind of, I was looking through and there's no one around and there was a sliding door that was locked. And I sort of started kind of jiggling it and kind of shimmying it and trying to kind of jiggle it open a little bit. And I was standing there thinking to myself, you know, if, if someone pops out right now, if it's hospital security and they pop up and they go, what the hell are you doing? I'm going to find myself in a whole world of trouble. And I was thinking to myself, you know, why did I not make more audacious plays back when I was a patient in the hospital, <laughs> safe in the knowledge that, you know, there was the worst case scenario, there was no way they were going to kick me out of the place. Like there's a whole bunch of perks that come from being a patient in the place. Uh, like you said, I guess some, some might call it an ability to be selfish, but I didn't have any interest in, uh, in taking it up maybe beyond um, asking my parents to bring me in an ice cream uh, or a couple of ice creams or, or these sorts of things during my treatment. There may be a lot of people listening to this who are going through cancer treatment, looking to you for some sort of inspiration of how to get through those those tough days and such. What were those low points like for you, and and what advice could you give to others to to navigate those? Um, the low points for me were the first, the the the, the biggest one, which stands out in retrospect which is kind of funny looking back on it. It gets, it gets funnier as time goes on because it sort of sounds so, I don't know. To me now, it sounds so inconsequential. I'm not sure whether it sounds that way to other people or not, but certainly at the time I didn't feel it. So uh, it was my girlfriend's year 13 leavers dinner. So <laughs> like I, even, I laugh saying it, but I was, um, I'd missed my own leavers dinner. I'd missed my own leavers ball. I'd missed all of these different functions and such because I was in hospital during that end of year period. And that was fine. I, I was fine with that. I'd sort of coped with that. Um, but when it came to my girlfriend's end of year leavers dinner, all of my mates were going out with kind of her mates and, and everyone was there together and she was there by herself. And I felt that I had really let, let her down uh, through that. And obviously, you know, I understand now and I understood at the time, I suppose as well, that that wasn't, you know, it wasn't my fault and it wasn't anything I could have controlled, but I felt this, this overwhelming sense of, 
having let her down and, and disappointment at the circumstances. And, and that was probably one of the two um, periods of frustration during my treatment that I talked about before. So I vividly remember that night being so angry that I was, you know, crying angry tears. And I actually, I, this is another, you know, that makes me laugh because it's so embarrassing now, but I put the, put the blind down in my hospital room and I remember punching my pillow and sort of, angry angry crying and attacking this pillow at the same time whilst i think being hooked up to like a, a drip in the machine at the same time so that was that was one of my darkest the darkest times in hospital i think um physically i mean that that was mentally the one of the toughest points physically um physically there were a lot of tough points but they often didn't quite correspond with the mentally difficult points i think um and perhaps you know this comes in part or, or is part of the basis for my interest in endurance sport type stuff now is that um i, I i've yeah certainly found then and, and hopefully continue to find now that i can draw myself mentally uh into a stronger position when i'm physically in a weaker one or in physically in a more challenging one so for the for yeah regardless of, of for anyone who's listening to this and finds themselves in uh like you said the specific example of going through cancer treatment and trying to overcome difficult times through that i think for me what got me through all of those low points whether they were physical or psychological was to uh, do a couple of things first and foremost was to just get through it um particularly day at a time i guess was the over overall theme of my treatment so if I had looked at the hundred or so days of chemotherapy, which I had ahead of me at the start of my treatment, um, all of the uh, terrible medical procedures that I was going to go through, I think it would have seemed like a mountain, which was impossible to conquer. But through taking things day at a time, looking one day at a time, I yeah, was really fortunate to be able to uh, ignore the fact that I had chemotherapy tomorrow and the day after that and the day after that, and to just focus on getting through today's chemotherapy. And I think without that, it would have been yeah, nigh on impossible to conquer. Um, and, and when times are really tough, not taking it day by day, but just taking it you know, hour by hour or minute by minute, where um, it really helped me through those, those darkest and toughest points of you know, nausea or um, feeling like I was missing out on cool things. So those were big and, parts of it. Also kind of um, looking for the good things within the bad during those low points as well. So there's ridiculous things that I look back on now, like, you know, one story which really stands out for me was uh, in the hospital, you kind of, you get a, it's, like, it's virtually like a room service menu that hangs on the back of the door in the hotel and you sort of tick the boxes for what you want for breakfast the next day. So I'd get one of those forms every day and I would put down that I wanted toast and uh, they had an option for, for, you know, spreadings, but they only had berry jam written down. And I, long story short, I hate strawberry jam and I love raspberry jam. So every day I was ticking this berry jam form uh, and every day I was getting strawberry jam, strawberry jam, strawberry jam. And I vividly remember one day raspberry jam showed up with my toast. And, you know, if you could have seen it, you would have looked into the window of that hospital room and you would have seen an almost skeletal 18 year old guy without a single hair on his body, jumping up and down on the spot, kind of fist, fist pumping the air uh, because he was so excited to have raspberry jam on his toast for the, the first time in, in a little while. So it's about finding little things like that, stupid, stupidly little things to find uh, appreciation, uh, an appreciation of within a difficult experience, I think is a massive part of overcoming those, those larger challenges. 
and that's really interesting you you talking about being incredibly emotive and in the success of having a specific kind of jam do you think it's important to let yourself feel those emotions when you're going through something like that whether they be happy in the case of the jam or whether they be you know incredibly sad in the case of not being able to attend normal things that an 18 year old boy should be attending yeah I think I'm trying to picture what it would have been like if I had tried to bottle up all of those emotions and I probably just would have exploded I think um I think the only way to get through that and and probably the only way to get through um, significant adversity in life that I've found is to, yeah, let those emotions kind of wash over you regardless of whether they're positive or negative and then just try and roll with them and deal with them subsequent to that. I'll take you to briefly to, I guess, how we all met Jake Bailey, which was the speech uh, at Christchurch Boys High. It's still been viewed 1.8 million times and it has still resonated with a lot of people. You still see it popping up on Facebook and on social media every now and then. When was the last time you watched it? Is it is, and what do you think of it now? Do you still reflect on it at all? <laughs> um, I'm just trying to think. I've watched it and, you know, this is the same, this is the, the answer that anyone would give, ask that question and in this position, regardless of how many times or how often they'd watched it. Um, but I can honestly and genuinely say that I've watched it very few times. I might have watched it five times in my life, maybe, in its entirety. And I don't think I would have watched it in its entirety, maybe since 20, I don't know, 2016 or 2017. Um you know, like, like you said, you sort of see occasionally see clips of it pop up and I'll watch, I'll watch clips of it. But for me, it's a really interesting thing because I don't, (laughs) basically, I don't remember making the speech itself. Um, I remember circumstances surrounding the speech. Um, I remember, yeah, sort of pre and post. And I do remember, I remember snippets of being on stage, um, but, you know, for anyone that's even been on stage, you know, I mean, it's a school prize giving, it's not a big event, but if you've ever been on stage in in an event like that, um, it's quite disorienting to sort of have the stage lights on you and to look out and not be able to see a, a crowd or see anyone out there. So for me, I kind of have some loose memories of uh, around the time and of, of making some of the speech and of shortly afterwards. It's certainly, you know, relative to some of my other memories of my time in hospital, it's a very, uh, it's a very kind of translucent and kind of yeah, misty kind of memory. Uh, I guess that would be an opaque memory, not a translucent one, but um, yeah, it, it's funny to look back on because, because of that, um, because it, for me, I, it's sort of like watching another person make the speech as someone that doesn't look like me. They look incredibly uh, unhealthy and out of it. They're making a speech, which I don't particularly remember uh, making for myself. Uh, but I just remember, you know, falling into the circumstances of this person that had made the speech shortly afterwards. So uh, yeah, it's a funny position to be in where it feels almost like someone else's actions have, uh, you know, altered my life and I've taken over for someone who made the speech in some ways you your life obviously did take a, a take a turn and you would you were left to i guess deal with the circumstances of the speech that you had given was it seemingly a, a change overnight were you suddenly thrust into this profile or were you guarded from it in a way by being in hospital it's funny yeah yeah it, it's funny it was actually it was really a combination of those two things and um 
I was guarded from it personally by having been in hospital, which was uh, brilliant, really, because I was in this this wonderful cocoon of of kind of safety. But also, my focus was really drawn away from what was happening on the outside of of my hospital room. It was my whole world at that time was just those four walls because I was so focused on my treatment. Um, it was very early on in my treatment. I was still in a pretty precarious position, not that I was particularly aware of it at the time, but there was a lot going on as a result of that. So, you know, whether I was being whipped away for tests or procedures or having treatments or, um, you know, spending a lot of time uh, with nurses having checkups and things like that. So I was, yeah, simultaneously removed from, uh, what, what, yeah, what transpired shortly after the speech was made. Uh, and at the same time, I kind of acutely aware of the storm that was brewing on, on the outside of those, those, those four walls that I was trapped with, literally trapped within. So, um, to, yeah, to, to explain how it happened, uh, my girlfriend was there visiting me in hospital and she said, um, you know, holy, she was scrolling through Facebook and she said, holy shit, there's an article about you on nine news in Australia and it's got 5,000 likes on it. And I just, I remember thinking to myself, 5,000 likes, that is astronomical. And then by the end of that day, the TV3 article had 500,000 views and 50,000 likes on it. And it was just, yeah, it was, it was as, uh, yeah, it was as unfathomable as it would be for anyone listening to this to have so one of their actions, which felt pretty, uh, you know, pretty, pretty normal to them, I guess, in a lot of ways, go on to become extraordinarily viral in an instant, um, and to have, yeah, a lot of, a lot of attention subsequently stem from that. So, uh, yeah, I was fortunate to be in hospital, I think, a lot during that time and removed from that. And my focus was, was elsewhere, but it was, it was, yeah, once in a lifetime kind of experience, I think. And I actually, I was thinking about it yesterday because, uh, without giving away too much of the timeline to, to listeners, yesterday was the Australian swimming coach at the Olympics doing his uh, extraordinary celebration after the Australian swimmer won gold in the in the in the race, and I sort of thought the same thing. Like that guy would have you know done that, having no idea that anyone was was filming it. Um, certainly not intending for it to go viral, but has woken up today in a completely different world than than the one that he inhabited yesterday because his his face and his image is all over the world right now. So yeah, it, it's yeah, it's it's just surreal. Well, you did get through it and you were in remission in 2016, much to the relief of everyone who was watching your your journey through cancer. And I'm sure yourself would have would have had some some feelings of of that relief. What were emotion, the emotions that that came with that? Because that wasn't the end of the battle, was it? Yeah, sure. I mean, there's, yeah, there's, there's a few distinct emotions, which I think looking back on that stemmed from that, um, particularly initially, shortly after I went into remission, I found, um, I, yeah, I found myself in a, in a quite a challenging period, uh, first and foremost, because through my treatment, I'd suffered a condition called uh, peripheral neuropathy, which is uh, effectively nerve damage through, uh, in my case, the legs and lower limbs. Um, it's, you know, the chemotherapy works on the principle of attacking things which grow inside the body. Um, for instance, you know, first and foremost, tumors, um, but also hair, for example, which is why you lose your hair. Unfortunately, in my circumstances, obviously nerves grow inside your body as well and the chemotherapy attacked the nerves. So much as a, a survivor of a spinal injury might have an inability to move their legs because the signals don't reach from, from the brain to the legs. Uh, my nerves in my legs were damaged or stripped. And uh, because of that, my legs 
kind of didn't didn't do what I told them to, or maybe they did it, but they did it wrong, or maybe they did it, but they did it late, uh, or maybe they did it, but they did some of it, um, which made things like walking for me uh, impossible for a period of time, and I sort of, uh, yeah, dragged myself around on two crutches or was in a wheelchair for that period of time. So that brought up a bunch of really complex emotions. Um, so that that that's sort of yeah, that that's the backdrop to it. Um, but then also there's something to be said for uh, the impact that it has on your psyche to come so close to death uh, and then sort of be skirted away at the last minute from it, but also to be in the proximity of, of death and mortality uh, for such a prolonged period of time. So to see other people around you pass away uh, on the ward to know that, you know, there was, and as I said earlier, I wasn't acutely aware of it, but certainly felt, um, yeah, in a sense, emboldened by the fact that I hadn't hadn't passed away once I went into remission. Um, and so for me, yeah, there was a period where um, the best way to describe it, and it's, it's surprisingly common, it turns out, from what I've been able to deduce talking to other cancer survivors, is there was a period of maybe six months initially when I first went into remission where my I had this uh, snappy or sharp or instinctive response um, to uh, difficulties or challenges that arose of uh, if I hadn't of survived, then this wouldn't have been an issue. Or in other words, you know, if I had have died of cancer, uh, then this wouldn't have been a problem. And it was almost one of those things that, you know, when so much frustration and, and, and anger builds up inside you and something sort of snaps in you mentally, that was the place that I went mentally when I snapped. And it was over incredibly minor things in a sense, but I was also being uh, really tormented at the time by my legs um, and subsequently by my inability to uh, to walk, to run, to play sport, to work, uh, to do things like go to the shops, to spend time with my friends, to do all of these normal things that my life had had before. So um, there were times when, you know, I would I'd want to go to the kitchen and get food and I wouldn't, I wouldn't be able to do it because I couldn't get myself back while holding a plate. I needed to hold onto the walls with both hands. And I think to myself, you know, shit, if I had have died, then this wouldn't be a problem right now. And then of course you'd immediately go into this place of, oh, I can't believe that I would think that feel that um, those same emotions of, of, of uh, selfishness or um, yeah. Confusion, I guess as well. Uh, and probably, over time, I came to understand that that came from a number of different things. It came from challenges and issues which I had to face and overcome within myself. Uh, but I think it also came from uh, desensitization to uh, to death, really, I guess, in a sense as well, to have seen that around and to have experienced that around me and to, uh, through that, to have kind of become, yeah, desensitized in a way to that as well. And I'm not sure if I really have an answer to what, you know, what the issues were, what the challenges were, or how I overcame them. But it's it's something which I've spoken to a, a few other cancer survivors about as well. And there's yeah, a bit of a consensus that particularly early on in their remission stages, they went through phases where their first instinctive response to, uh, yeah, adversity or challenges in their life was a very matter of fact, not even necessarily particularly emotional shit. Well, if I had have died, then, you know, this wouldn't have been a problem. Um, which is you know, a funny, funny place to find yourself in it as well, I guess, in a sense. It's an incredible, um, sca- but, you know, that- scary thing to be thinking as well, isn't it? Especially, you know, from what we saw from the outside was that you seemed in a, in a, in a really good space throughout your battle, you know, throughout cancer, you, you, you hadn't 
you were incredibly positive. So to have those thoughts mm. going into your 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 kid, why do you why do you think the, the the mindset switched? Have you had any sort of realizations as to what was causing that? Yeah, I don't I don't know. I don't think I have. Um, which is a bit of an anticlimactic kind of answer, I guess. But it's something which you know, looking back on it, it wasn't a scenario where I ever felt that I would have preferred to have been dead or that I wished that I had have died from the cancer. It was just a very, um, it was a period where, you know, there was a very raw and very, uh, very real understanding of the fact that there were two distinct possible outcomes of what I'd just been through, um, that I had gone down one of those pathways and that, um, you know, there were certain challenges that I was facing now, which I wouldn't have faced if I was on the other pathway. And I guess it's almost, you know, you know, one of those times in life when you're put into a situation where um, you have to make a choice and you feel like either way, you, you know that both choices are going to be wrong uh, or you will regret both of them looking back because there'll always be moments where you look at, at the, you know, at the situation you're in now and you say, well, if I had to make this other choice, then I wouldn't be in this situation now. And I guess in my circumstance, I never wanted to, to not survive or never expected to not survive. But there was still this newfound awareness that I had of my own mortality which meant that when I found myself in challenging situations I, I had a yeah an understanding of the fact that there was um well there had been an alternative outcome which wouldn't have meant that I was in that position anymore um and it's that's not that I wanted to to have that outcome it was just a very um yeah it was really it was it was quite scary in a lot of ways um, to to feel those things and to have that that knowledge now it felt like sort of forbidden knowledge um, in a kind of way to know that you know that if I hadn't have survived the cancer then I wouldn't be facing those challenges now so um, yeah really fortunate to not to not experience that or feel that anymore it was a very short lived thing which I'm grateful for um, but yeah certainly since then um the experience with cancer and, and going through that has brought me challenges subsequently as well which uh have just involved kind of wrapping my head around uh the fact that i did survive it and um you know this idea of in a sense i guess survivor's guilt in a way um and seeing other people in the position exactly the same as myself people just like me who have gone through the exact same journey and the exact same path that I walked and then have had a different outcome to my own one and to be left with you know picking up the pieces from that to try and kind of understand you know how can it be that you know we were the same uh we were exactly the same and and you know I, I am no better or no more uh no more skilled or gifted or fortunate than them uh so why is it that that I am the one who is still here and they are not and in a sense I think that's um that, that's a burden which I, I shoulder, but I'm happy to because it, it is a force which inspires me and pushes me to go out and make the most of my my life and my opportunities that I have. Right, so is that how you come to terms with, with something like that, is just using it as a motivator? I think so. I mean, it's, it's certainly, and it's something which I talk about with people because I'm incredibly passionate about it. And it's something which I feel uh you know really really strongly much like i feel this idea of you know every day waking up and and you know being alive and, and how brilliant that is um as a way to start the day i i look back on you know my time in that ward and the fact that i was one of those people that walked out of that ward i wasn't wheeled out of there so i was one of the lucky ones and yeah it, it's something which particularly as a young person and still as a young person now, it's been incredible to grapple and come to terms with because 
before I ended up in that place, I had no comprehension of just how many young people died and young people with hopes and dreams and ambitions and goals and futures just as bright and just as real as, as, as my own, just as, as real as ours. Um, but they have their, they have their light snuffed out too soon. And it's one of those things that just feels like an, an abomination of nature. It's one of those things that that feels like the loss of a young person's life like that would be something that you would see on the news or that you would see on social media, or there would be you know, a public procession or funeral on the streets or something like one of these things that it seems so wrong and so unfathomable that, that young people uh, with so much, so much ahead of them and so much potential um, can, can die. And so for me, I, I'm in a position where, yeah, I've met some incredible young people um, who unfortunately passed away from cancer. And I can, yeah, I, I, I feel for me that I carry them on my shoulders um, along with many of the other people that, that were on that ward with me. And to do so is, you know, it's not just my responsibility, I don't feel, because I was, you know, I was there and I went through it. I think that's a societal responsibility to go out and live life on behalf of those who are unable to do so anymore. And like I said, you don't have to be, you know, involved or uh, be, be part of that, have been on the ward for that to be part of your responsibility. I think that's just something which we uh, we all need to, to take as an approach to life because, you know, it's it's something which we would all want other people to do for us if we'd found ourselves in that position. So yeah, it's it's a motivator for me for sure. You really have done that in 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 your life after after uh, that period of your life. You've competed in the coast to coast. You've taken on Tour de Cure. You have you as you've revealed, you've run an ultra marathon. Um, that's, you know, anybody would look at that and see yourself as, as a real beacon. So what is your advice to people like myself or others who haven't gone through your, your, uh, your journey, uh, that you approach life in a good headspace? And how, how do you keep yourself in a good headspace? Because at the start of this, you, we talked about how sometimes it can be pretty exhausting going through that I need to make sure that every day is the best day possible because of what I've been through. Yeah. And that, that's a real challenge for people as well. And like I said, that was a challenge for me to kind of grapple with those emotions as well. Um, I guess when I look back on what, you know, what has given me the drive to do these things um, and, and continues to give me the drive to kind of go out and do the things that, that I want to do, it's nothing to do with, with my experience. And I think that's often where people kind of get, I don't know, get disconnected from what I talk about because they think, you know, he's been through this experience. So he's been enlightened and had these epiphanies and now he's trying to share them, but it doesn't kind of fit because I haven't been through that experience. But the further that I get away from my, you know, my diagnosis and my treatment and my go and, and what I, um, what I went through, I come to realize more and more that it wasn't, the fact that I was, you know, there and saw this happen uh, or, or went through this or faced these challenges, it was simply the fact that it gave me an understanding of the fact that it does happen. So I didn't have to go through it myself. I just had to have this awareness or understanding that, that it, it does happen, that it's the real world. And like I said, you know, it, it's hard to fathom that this actually happens, but it, it I, can, I can verify firsthand that, that it does happen. So I think... And I guess in a sense as well, I think that's probably what um, kind of captured um, 
captured an audience to my story initially when the speech came out was because it was living proof and a reminder to people that these things and these circumstances do genuinely happen, um, which is, yeah, even for me as someone who's been through it, it's still hard to believe sometimes. So, yeah, I, I guess what I would try and impart on people is that what has given me this mindset is not what I've been through. It's not what I've seen. It's not what I've done. It's not what I've endured and overcome. It's just the understanding that it, it that it happens. Um, and subsequent off the back of that, I have had, uh, yeah, the, these emotions of uh, a sense of obligation, first and foremost, like I said, to go out and, and live life to the fullest each and every day, uh, simply because you're able to do so. Um, uh, this mindset of, waking up every day and and treating it like i said that, that it's a brilliant day because you know you're not you're not dead um all of these different feelings that i have around it uh are what you know pushes me to do more and more and it's not not what i've been through it's, it's the understanding that i've given so if i could impart anything onto people it's yeah go out and, and live each day with passion and pride to to your very fullest simply because you're able to do so and i can assure you that despite how much it doesn't feel like it, um, it it's, your life is incredibly precariously balanced around you. Um, things can, can kind of topple over it at any moment in time and through no fault of your own as well. Bad things and adversity don't just happen to uh, bad people or unlucky people or people in a, in a faraway world. Um, they happen to, to real people just like you and I. So uh, I think... Yeah, that, that should be people's motivation or inspiration to go out there and just tackle every opportunity that they have um, on behalf of themselves and also on behalf of those people who aren't able to do so. One of the techniques that is used to, I guess, try and live life to the fullest and one that you'll, anybody who's read a self-help book or, or um, you know, sought help for, for mental health issues is the idea of being present and not being wrapped up in thoughts. And in order to live a full uh, happy life and and to be out there you know not worrying about what is to come as 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 you need to be present which can be in, in, incredibly elusive do you have any tips mm. as to how to maintain that being present in the moment i don't know that's a really good question because i yeah i'm a huge believer in all of that and it's so it's so good. It's so, so good to be able to do that. And I'm just thinking, you know, after, after this chat, I'll go for a walk outside and it will be, you know, it'll be a reasonably warm temperature outside and the birds are chirping and the sun's setting and it's just stunning. It's incredible. And to be able to find those moments like that and to be able to uh, draw joy out of them is just such an incredibly powerful way to sustain yourself through difficult times. And it's certainly what I've found for me uh, drives me and helps push me through challenging times uh, post-cancer as well. So in terms of how people can do that, I think, like I said, you know, when I was going through cancer, I was finding these uh, absurdly small things to be happy about, whether it was, you know, raspberry jam, whether it was things like, you know, yes, um, yes, I'm having a really bad day today and I've got intrathecal chemotherapy tonight, but my girlfriend's coming over tonight and we're going to watch Netflix or uh, yes, I've got cancer, but it's not my loved one and I don't have to watch them go through it. Just finding these tiny, tiny things to be grateful for, I think is incredibly powerful. And if that was, you know, my, my greatest tip for people in, in terms of gratitude, it's just start small. Like there's so many, so many small things that you can find within a day to be grateful for. And it's a habit, which I think 
I kind of yeah worked myself into uh, during my time in hospital. And it's one which I haven't haven't really let go of since then. And I find that the value, uh, I should say the volume of small things which I'm grateful for in life cumulatively is probably as great as or greater than all of these big things, these big victories, these big wins that I used to be holding out for. And I find that, you know, things like raspberry jam, plus going for a walk, plus playing with the dog, you add up enough of these things and all of a sudden they're actually better than, you know, finishing an ultra marathon that you've been training for for months, all of these, these big goals that you've been working towards. So yeah, start small with your gratitude, just find, find anything uh, to cling on to and get through. Do you think that that is something that us as a society potentially overlook it a lot as those small wins, those small little things uh, like playing with the dog or, or raspberry jam or the birds chirping outside. Do you think that's something that we take for granted? Yeah, probably. Um, and it's it's understandable because it's incredibly easy to do as well. Because these these things that we um, that we face are you know they're not mundane and they're not monotonous, but they are frequent um, and they're things which we become accustomed to and. For me, I guess that's also part of what I enjoy about endurance sport is that, you know, if I go on a seven or eight or nine day bike ride across the Australian outback and I'm on a bike for, you know, eight or nine hours a day in the pouring rain, starving, hungry, incredibly sore, getting up at four o'clock in the morning in some, you know, little outback country motel where there's no hot water and I've got to get on the bike again for another day. When I get back home and there's a hot shower and there's good food and there's the opportunity to put my feet up and rest instead of spending another day on a bike. And there's the opportunity to be around people that I love instead of spending another day in the middle of nowhere on a bike. You know, these things, they, they shine all that little bit brighter. Um, so you've got to, I think in some ways, remove yourselves, uh, remove yourself from the, uh, those little privileges or those little pleasures in life to be able to fully appreciate them. You've had that experience, obviously, of being potentially being taken away from you, those little things in life. Is there something that you see in our society or in males in particular that we must, we've got to do differently? Um, geez, that's a good question. Um, I don't know. I think as guys, we've got to, and increasingly we are becoming more receptive to talking to other guys about our, our feelings and emotions and what we're going through. Um, I think we need to, yeah, focus on, on challenging ourselves as well. Not just necessarily that's something particularly for guys, but just for people in general, I think that um, society these days, and it sort of touches on what we've just talked about there. We've become quite comfortable in our lives and, on, a, on a, a daily basis, kind of seven days a week, there are very few circumstances you'll find yourself in which kind of push you, challenge you, uh, or kind of drive you outside of your comfort zone. And if, if you do find yourself in those circumstances, you'll generally define them as inconveniences. Um, so I think to find situations where you deliberately challenge yourself and push yourself out of your comfort zone is something which is incredibly powerful for building your, you know, your resilience and your, and your mental fortitude and strength. And you've found that through the, the sport that you've now fallen in love with, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, I have, I have. And I guess it's funny because I think that that sort of shines through now. I'm just realizing that everything I'm sort of saying comes back to, to sport in a little bit of a way. I'm kind of 
kind of ranting and raving and, and rambling on about it but that's because for me it is yeah it is a massive part of kind of everything in my life from my physical well-being uh, but also my mental well-being and just who I am as a person just trying to um yeah trying to, to, to make myself a stronger person inside what part of your life do you view that you need to still improve in oh man that's a brilliant question um communication to be honest probably i need to be better which is funny because you know incredibly doing, doing surprising jake bailey <laughs> communication yeah. is a public speaker yeah i don't think don't think you saw that coming i think yeah communication with the people that i'm closest to uh which is you know sort of bearing bearing my soul a little bit right there as well but i think um yeah my communication and uh opening up to the people that i'm i'm closest to i think is something which i could definitely improve and, and work on you now run sorted um but which is helping schools and organizations tailor their approach to student well-being and building resilience could you tell me a bit about that at work and and what you're saying yeah sure so sorted is a uh, video based program which is as you said just trying to impart some core skills of resilience on on young people so um for me i guess all of my work in terms of public speaking and and so on and so forth now is largely built around this idea of resilience i see resilience as being the single greatest factor in the uh the lifetime success of a young person so significantly more influential and certainly studies suggest that that resilience is significantly more uh, influential on a person's success in life than their you know the start that they have in life uh, how how healthy they or or fit or poor or rich or lucky or unlucky uh, or you know fortunate or nat even naturally talented people are uh, this factor of how resilient they are tends to outperform all of these other factors in terms of uh, people's outcomes in, in life and certainly their happiness in life so for me if there was anything which I could try and equip our young people today with it would be uh, resilience so sorted as yeah as, as the uh the, the the format through which i'm trying to do that basically engaging with young people through schools um to provide them with with content tailored and based around uh furthering and promoting resilience for young people so it's yeah it's exciting uh it's a cool opportunity to do that and there's a few other projects which i'm working on now uh which are in that same sphere um, because I just see, yeah, I see resilience as being the key to kind of rearing a generation of young people who are prepared to go out into the real world and succeed because they will inevitably face challenges in life. Um, and as I said, their success and their happiness will be dependent on how effectively they're able to overcome those challenges. You've crammed a lot into the last six years and probably more than the first version of Jake would have ever envisaged. Um, what, what other uh, aspirations do you have, Jake? apart from sorted it's funny i um yeah to, to continue to hopefully share my story um and through that hopefully to help other people which is you know something i've been so incredibly fortunate to be able to do for the past five years and it's been such a privilege and such an honor to be able to do so um so hopefully to be able to continue that through whatever format that may look like. It's funny, I'm actually in a position now where for possibly the first time since going through cancer, I feel a little bit more comfortable sort of laying out some plans and preparations in place. Um, there was, and, and that's just obviously in relation to um, being announced as cured now after five years of remission. So there were times 
kind of early on in remission where, and as I said earlier, I didn't have a fear of the cancer coming back, but there were times when I would book, you know, events or trips or, or engagements. And I would think, you know, geez, I hope I don't relapse by then. I hope that my cancer doesn't come back and sort of throw these plans uh, aside a little bit. So to be in a position now where I have a little bit more confidence, a little bit more, well, dare I say certainty, because none of us really have that in, in regards to our health. Um, but to be in a position where I feel a little bit better placed to start putting plans into action for the, for the future, um, I'm really excited to move forward and, and to sort of see where that path takes me and to hopefully be able to, uh, yeah, find ways to, to help other people and sort of fulfill my, uh, my wish to be able to do that through that pathway. Well, Jake, I'll let you be now thanks again you are a constant inspiration for many with cancer and those in life in general i have no doubt that this won't be the last time we potentially talk or we see you again um but so jake i just want to say thank you for for coming on good guys and thanks for um being vulnerable and 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 chatting through your experiences of of life with cancer and how to approach life after um so thanks very much Really appreciate the opportunity. A really cool opportunity to sort of be able to share some of that stuff and um, good on you. And, and I just, yeah, I believe so much in uh, the power of people being able to come together and talk about this stuff. So yeah, appreciate the opportunity, mate. Thank you very much. Hey, thanks for making it to the end. And I hope you enjoyed this episode. Please remember to subscribe and share this podcast to your mates or across social media so we can get these conversations out there. Have a good one.